You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. My wife Mariah and I moved to Massachusetts in 2006, so we arrived before GPS became commonplace. This is not a big deal in many parts of the country, but as you know, there are, things are different here because we have 30 rotaries for every straight road. So we spent the first few months of, of living here dizzyingly disoriented and with a glove box full of MapQuest printouts. You guys remember the days? Yeah. Everything was fine if you'd planned your day and knew where you were going. But if plans changed, you were on your own. This meant you had to figure out whom you could trust for directions and how long you could trust them. So some people knew all of the roads and some people knew none. Some people can communicate directions clearly. They can speak them out loud. They can write them out. They can illustrate. Some people can do that for you. Other people think they can do those things, but they actually just take away all of your hope. All of your hope. Right? Imagine this. Take the second left. You'll go through two stoplights after the road forks. Then take the first exit out of the rotary and the second left after the sandwich shop that I used to play Keno at. It'll be on your left, but you can't park there. You're going to need to park three streets over by the fourth fire hydrant, right? That's the kind of thing that happens. That's where we're at. So you have to figure it out. Can I trust this person's plans? How long can I trust their plans? We had dinner at someone's house here in Melrose on a rainy evening, and we got lost getting back to Route 1, following our host's directions. After driving in circles for a few times, we stopped at the Dunkin' Donuts right down here at closing time to ask for help. That's how bad it was. And do you know how embarrassed I am right now sharing that out loud? But when I needed directions, I got to consider, do I trust that person anymore? And the answer is no. No, I don't trust that person anymore. How long can I trust them? Well, not out of their driveway, apparently. Right? Now, some of you are wondering if, if it's you right now. And I'm not going to relieve that tension. I'm just going to but it's it there. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Get better at directions. But then some folks are fantastic with directions and with helping you understand them. Mariah and I had lunch at the Browns home during this time. And when we were leaving the kids, this was when they were all teenagers, right? They were, all the kids loaded up in the car and they led us out to Route 1 like a pace car, right? This was the most teenagers have ever been trusted by an adult driver, But let me tell you, they knew where they were going. They were committed to us. And I'd follow them anywhere. (laughs) Right? Can I trust them? Absolutely. How long can I trust them? However long they'll drive. I trust them. Right? Do you see the difference there? For the one who did not know the right way, trust was relative to what I could see and verify myself. There was a limit to what I could trust them for and how long I could trust them going forward. But for the one who knew the right path and led us on the right path, even putting themselves in our possession, a position, trust had only grown, and I will follow them through any rotary, 
through any pothole, through any snowstorm that Massachusetts can offer. Just kidding. There's probably some limit there. Fortunately now, we have GPS on our, app, on our phones, and I don't have to get lost anymore. It's great. But when it comes to life, things aren't always so clear. So if we're being honest, life can often feel like we're in Wellington Circle before GPS. You know what I mean? Just imagine it's dark outside, no one has their lights on, and I can turn any of eight directions right now. You don't know when to stop, where to go, what lane to be in, and what's that? Now someone is going the wrong direction at me. Things are moving fast, and we need help. But who can I trust? And even if I've got GPS leading me with directions, there's still one more problem. There's still another place things can break down, and it's me. It's me. I have to respond well to the help. I have to listen to the instructions, to the directions. So the question is, will I follow what I've been told, or will I abandon my help? Will I abandon the one that's helping me and leading me? Will I trust? So this is the circumstance you and I find ourselves in in life. We need help we can trust, and we need to trust our help. We need help we can trust, and we need to trust our help. We need, we need that bad, and this isn't a new circumstance. It's an old problem with a glorious solution. Unlike some of the other Psalms, we don't know the exact life circumstance behind Psalm 16. But we can pick up some hints from that text that tell us that King David is despairing as he's writing this psalm. In verse 4, we can see that David is fearful that he might abandon God. If you have your Bible, open it up and look there, or your app, you can do that. But we also have this on the screens here. Let's read verse 4, and we'll see that David is fearful that he might abandon God. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So here's where we see that David is fearful that he will abandon God. Look for it in there with me. See, people around David are worshiping other gods. That's what he's talking about here. They're making offerings and sacrifices and worship towards pagan deities. So as you can imagine, David is tempted to do the same. He's tempted to compromise. He's tempted to turn from the one true God. David feels despair because he feels his weakness in this challenging situation. And this, challenge, this, this temptation to, uh, to, to look like he's worshiping God and worshiping idols at the same time lurks in the background of this psalm. And like David, we live in a world full of idols that call for us to worship at their altar. Whether money or power or sex or applause or a million other things that make big promises, we are tempted to place our hope in places other than God. We're tempted to place our hope in those things instead of in God. And if we don't go all in on an idol, if we don't go all in on idol worship, we're still tempted to compromise just a little bit. And then, just a little bit more. Knowing temptation's pull and knowing our weakness, we may feel David's fear here and wonder, 
Am I going to abandon God? Can I remain faithful to God? Can I refuse to compromise my faith and refuse to turn to the idols of this world? Can I trust that God has my best in mind and that I'm not missing out by following him alone? Can I trust that God's wisdom, care, and protection are actually the best things for me? Or another way to say it is, what can I trust God with? Now let's read, as we read verse 6, we're going to see, or the first six verses, we're going to see David answering this question. Preserve me, O God. This is verse 1 of Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. In these six verses, David clarifies what he and we can trust God with. And the answer is everything. We can trust God with everything. Follow with me through here. In verse 1, David prays, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David is praying to God. David is making petition to God for God to preserve him, to protect him, and to be his refuge. David trusts God for protection, and he asks God to be his safety and his security. Now, David is the great warrior king. Remember this. This is David. Yet he trusts God to protect him. Then in verses 2 through 4, David continues naming things he can trust God with. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, in verse 2 there, David says he has no good apart from God. No good, not even a bit. Not a bit. David's trusting in God for his well-being and his welfare. In another psalm, David writes, There is nothing on heaven, or nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's what he says. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That is what is being expressed here. David trusts God for any and for all good in life. This includes his relationships, as we see in verse 3. It is the saints in the land in whom David delights. David trusts God, and he looks to God's people for life-giving, soul-filling, encouraging, and delightful relationships. David knows that God has given him the saints— He's given him the saints. Look around, you're the saints to one another. God has given him the saints. He's given him the excellent ones. The excellent ones. 
to encourage, to bless, to pray, to rejoice, and to live life alongside. David trusts God for his relationships and looks to connect with God's people for his good. Now, we mentioned before that plenty of folks, uh, plenty of folks around David were worshiping pagan deities. That was in verse 4 where it says, The sorrows of those who run after God, another God, shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, David trusts God, we're seeing that, and doesn't compromise. He doesn't try to play both sides by worshiping different deities. David's trusting God with his safety and his security and his well-being and his welfare, with his relationships. And now we see he's trusting God with his worship. He's trusting God with his worship. He's forsaking the rituals of other gods to the point that David is refusing to speak their names. And even more, David's trusting God with his hopes and his dreams, as we hear in verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is not longing for something else or someone else or somewhere else. David's not longing for someone else or something else or somewhere else. He does not wish for a different life. He does not wish for different relationships. He does not wish for different property. He's not even wishing for different circumstances. David is gladly receiving what the Lord has given him. So when we look through verses 1 through 6 here, what we see is that if we were to ask David, how would you answer the question, what can I trust God with? He would tell us, we can trust God with everything. Everything. We can trust God with everything. He's given us a list in some ways, and it covers everything. Safety and security, his well-being and welfare, his relationships and his worship, his hopes and his dreams. We can trust God with everything. Life, health, family, marriage, children, this church, each other. We can trust God with everything. There's nothing in David's life or in your life that we cannot trust God with. But there's another fear behind Psalm 16. David is also despairing that God might abandon him to death and in death. As we read verse 10, we're going to do that in a moment, and let's notice that David is concerned about an untimely death and whether God will be, for him, be with him for that. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David says that he trusts God for everything, but this is our second question. How long does that hold? What is the time span for trusting God? Right? What's the expiration date? If you freak out about milk expiring, you get, the, you get this a little bit, right? Like, how long is this good for? If you get even close to that expiration date and you're risking it, 
you're living a wild life and I don't understand you. But David's, David's question here, though, is will God stick with David for all of this life? And what about the next life? This despair or fear that God might abandon David is similarly in the background of his psalm. So when can David trust God? Now, we will all ask this question. If you're not asking it now, you probably asked it before, and you're going to ask it again. There are undoubtedly seasons of life when you will ask this question more than others. There's going to be seasons of life when you ask it with more concern than others. Will God be with me now and in the next life? Will he be there for me when I die? Another way to say that is, when can I trust God? When can I trust God? Let's look at verses 7 to 11, and we're going to look for David's answer. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In verses 7 to 9, David states that the Lord gives him counsel. That the Lord holds David up with his power. And that David's flesh is secure. Not because David's the great warrior king, but because David has God as his Lord. David can trust God in this life. God is with David, and David's heart is glad because of it. David can trust God now in this world. And then in verses 10 to 11, David says that God will not abandon him to death or in death. God's relationship with David will not end in death. He says it in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures of God will be wholly satisfying forevermore. The fullness of joy from David trusting God will never be exhausted in depth or in variety. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when can David trust God? Now and forevermore. When can I trust God? Now and forevermore. When can we trust God? Now and forevermore. We can trust God forevermore. If we put the two questions together, we see we can trust God with everything forevermore. There is no time, there is no place, there is no circumstance in which God will abandon David or you or me. Now we've looked, we've looked at Psalm 16 today, seeing, seeing the fears, the, the despair about fear that David would have behind it. But I want us to see that this is no psalm of fear. This is no psalm of fear. 
Psalm 16 is no psalm of despair. Psalm 16 is a psalm of confidence. What we have in Psalm 16 is, it's technically called a psalm of confidence. It's rooted in the character of God, and it's written by a man after God's own heart who knew and who experienced God's power over and over and over in his life. See, this, this psalm, Psalm 16, is a song that God's people in Israel would sing together. Much like we gather today, they would gather. I mean, a little different. There weren't TVs. Air conditioning was not quite as advanced. But they would, they would gather for worship, and they would sing Psalm 16. They would sing that expressing their confidence, expressing their trust in God. God's people would sing as we do. And as they sang, the saints in the land, God's holy ones, would praise God and encourage one another to trust God because of who God is and because of the relationship they had with God. Because they were God's chosen people and because God had saved them in the past, and because of how God promised to hold them in the future. David and the saints in the land could sing because they knew deep down to their core that they could trust God with everything forevermore. But Psalm 16 is still more than that. Psalm 16 is still more than a psalm of confidence. It's also a psalm of Christ, and it's a psalm for Christ. Every line in here, you can feel it, you can see it. Though tempted just as David was, and though tempted just as we are, Jesus prayed to God for preservation and strength and protection. And Jesus found refuge in God. For our good, Jesus humbly bowed to do the work of redemption, knowing that there was no good for him apart from God. See, Jesus had such delight in the saints, in you and in me. Now, Jesus had such delight in us that he died that we would be his. Jesus not only refused every bit of evil, Jesus came to kill death and to destroy the work of Satan. To kill death and destroy the work of Satan. Jesus prayed to God, not my will, but your will be done. Even when it meant his own unjust and undeserved death. Though it cost him a brutal and bloody death, Jesus gladly came to rescue his people from death. Jesus was so relationally close to God that he spoke not with his own authority, but with the authority of the Father who sent him. Jesus relied upon and hoped in God's power to keep him until his work was finished. Jesus knew all that lay before him in suffering and death. Yet he dwelt securely in God 
Jesus died on that cross, but death could not hold him. Could not hold him. And the resurrected Christ did not see corruption. Jesus was raised from the dead, making way for us as well. And Jesus dwells at the right hand of the Father. Seven Mile Road, Jesus trusted God with everything forevermore. Forevermore. And we are saved by faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. Jesus trusted God with everything forevermore, and we need not look for good apart from God. Jesus trusted God with everything forevermore, and we are now secure. Now, and for all eternity, as blood-bought sons and daughters of God. Jesus trusted God with everything forevermore, and we will be raised with him to know heaven's joys forever. Jesus trusted God with everything forevermore, and because he did, you and I can trust God with everything forevermore. Would you take this opportunity today to ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you are not trusting God? Where in life do you not believe that you can trust him? Where is that? What part of life is it that you're, stake, you're still making the rules in and still calling the shots in? Where is that place in your life that you stop listening when God calls you to obey? Please ask the Spirit today. Please talk about that with one another, with your gospel community, with your family. Please ask God for forgiveness for where you look for God or good apart from him. And ask the Spirit for his help to turn from sin so you and I can trust God with everything forevermore. Now it could be that you also walked in here today not yet believing in Jesus. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. We are so privileged that you would spend this time with us. We also want you to know that God's calling you to believe him for the first time right now. Would you please hear what Jesus has done today? Would you please catch up with someone else after? Come and ask, is this real? Because Jesus died so that your sin would be forgiven and an eternal fullness of joy could be yours in him. He's done that. So believe him. Believe him. There's no end to what we can trust God with. There's no end. He's the God of the heavens, and he's the God of square inches. There's nothing in your life too big to trust God with, and there's nothing in your life too small to trust God with. Not a single thing. And there's no expiration date to when we can trust God. See, God is the God of seconds, and he's the God of millennia. There's no time today when he is not Lord. And there's not a time for all eternity when he's not Lord. Not a single moment. So let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's trust God with everything 
forevermore.